so Straight Street. It's a curious title, isn't it? Okay, show of hands. How many of you thought when you first heard this that this series was going in the direction of like sexual orientation? Be honest. Just my husband. <laughs> okay, thank you, Matt, for your honesty. I appreciate it. That's refreshing. So um, believe it or not, we snagged this title from the Bible. We think it's a great idea to use the Bible in this church. Um, and we're actually teaching on the life of Paul. And you're going to find out why it's called Straight Street. If you weren't here last week, you had an aha moment when Heather was preaching. Um, but we're teaching on Paul's life. And in case you missed last Sunday, I want to make sure that I'm always cautious to understand that there might be people sitting in a room that when I say Paul, you think it's like the guy sitting next to you. You have no concept of who Paul is. And so we're going to recap really briefly what Heather shared. Heather's message was so impactful, and God spoke to me in so many ways through her message. But Heather taught us about Paul. Now, Acts chapter one, um, chapter 9, verse 1, it says that Paul uttered threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So not a super nice guy, okay? Um, before he was named Paul, though, his name was Saul. Okay, so don't get this confused. So he was Saul at one point, and he was literally breathing hatred towards people that loved Jesus. All right, so um, then in Acts 9, 5 through 6, Heather shared this, um, that he gets struck down on the road, and he's literally blinded. So he's this big warrior killing people. He gets struck down by the Lord, and this voice starts to speak to him in an audible voice, which is pretty sweet. I think that's awesome. And he basically says, like, who are you? And the voice says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you've been persecuting. Like, talk about feeling reprimanded. Okay, so God shows up and says, like, hey, it's me. You have been persecuting me. So um, then the voice says this. He says, now get up and go into a city, and you will be told what you must do. I love that God is so straightforward with Saul. Even though Saul didn't know God, he was still speaking to him. It's so straightforward. And then God shows up to this believer of Jesus, this man named Ananias. And he gives him these instructions in chapter 9, verse 11 through 12. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street. Get it? Straight Street. To the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so that he can see again. Okay, so here are the three things I picked up that I want you to hear. I think when God speaks his word, he shows us all different things. This is what I picked up. But three really important points here. God is still in the business of speaking prophetically to his people and to non-believers. Okay, so God is still speaking. We see this in how he showed up and he spoke to Ananias with specific instruction about Saul. Okay, and God is still in the business of using visions to speak to people. We see this in how he spoke to Saul and Ananias and gave them exact instruction what they should do. And then the third thing that I was reminded of as Heather was preaching is that God, and she didn't say this, but God is still in the business of healing people. We see this in the verse when it says, lay hands on him so that he may be healed. Okay, and I think that is so crucial because some people think that God doesn't work in those ways anymore. They think that God doesn't speak, he doesn't give visions or dreams that are prophetic, and he doesn't heal anymore. They think that's from times of old. And so at the risk of sounding incredibly blunt, those people are wrong. 
they, they are. And the reason I can speak to you with such conviction on this topic of healing and God speaking is because I've experienced it um, firsthand. So when you have been healed or when you have heard the voice of God, you cannot step away from that because you've experienced something that's profound, okay? So I know for a fact, if you catch anything today, literally my husband preached for me and then recapping Heather's message, I feel like we could be done today. But if you catch anything, I want you to know this. God still speaks. He still gives visions that are prophetic and he still heals. Okay, so some of you need to claim one of those three truths today. Okay, so jump back to the text that we're talking about. So God speaks to Ananias and then understandably, Ananias is like, hey, God, um, hello, the guy hates Christians. I'm a Christian. God, he's going to kill me. He's like, please, don't make me do this. And God's like, hey, Saul is my chosen vessel who I have anointed to take the message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. So he's got this big, massive call, and Ananias is part of commissioning him. Guys, I'm so thankful that Ananias had the guts to step into his calling that day because he very easily could have said, like, God, I am going to justify my way out of this because I don't want to die today. But he didn't. He obeyed the voice of God. And here's the thing. As, as one of many leaders in your church, I want you to know this. I believe that Church 214 was birthed to commission you to step into your God-given calling, to do whatever it is you are wired to do to change the world right around you. The, the mission of the church meaning I don't just mean this building. When I say church, I don't mean four walls or 12 walls or however many walls are here. I mean like the people of God, the people that love Jesus. The mission of those people is always about building God's kingdom. No matter what you're doing in your life, it's always about God's kingdom. And so our goal here at Church 214 as your leaders is to equip you with God's word. And some people would say, well, why? Why, why is your goal to equip us with God's word? Because we know that when you know God's word, you're more likely to walk out God's word. So we don't expect you to walk in a way that you don't understand. And so that's why we take so much passion in teaching you what does God's word say. Because it's his instruction book for our life. And when we are walking out the instructions that God gives us, he ends up getting glory through a ton of other people because they see the fruits in our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So when we're acting like Jesus, God gets glory because people notice the Jesus within us. So Heather also reminded us last week of the heritage that we have as a church, how we were started from Acts, or we're named after Acts 2, verse 14, and um, Peter and the disciples stepped forward to start building the church of Jesus, and we're just over three years into that journey, and Heather said something that I absolutely loved. She said, we're not a baby church anymore. We're, it's time for each and every one of us to take our next step in our spiritual development. And, um, you know, just like I expect my three-year-old to start changing in ways because he's no longer a toddler or a baby, we, we expect the same of you. And we're going to do that in love with you and come alongside you and help you understand what that means. But we want every single one of you stepping into what God has for you. So if you did miss Heather's message, um, go to the podcast and listen to it because she did a great job of reminding us of our church's vision why we're here, how we, how we calculate growth, what does growth mean to us in this church, and it's going to help you get our church's heartbeat, and it's also going to help you understand if you're growing spiritually. So really, really great message. Now today, I get to cover 
um, Paul's first missionary journey. And I know some of you are like, oh, missions work, totally boring. Um, Guys, Paul does some extraordinary things in this account and like some crazy, crazy stuff that we're going to talk off. So right off the bat, the text tells us that God sends a man named Barnabas to be commissioned to go with Paul to preach the gospel. And I love that God always brings people to serve alongside us. I think that's important to notice that God always brings people. So we're going to read. So if you've got your Bible or your smartphone with your Bible app, you can flip flip to Acts 13. We're going to start in verse 6. We've got a lot of biblical text today, so please, please, please do not check out. It's going to be good. Okay, it says they've just been commissioned, and it says afterward they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. I love how bold Paul is. And he says, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time, and instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teachings about the Lord. Paul is so brave. Okay, so believers of Jesus specifically, I want you to hear this. People will come into your lives that have evil spirits attached to them. And non-believers as well. But believers, we've got to be aware of this. Even intelligent men. The Bible said that he was an intelligent man, but he had a demonic spirit attached to him. Those spirits have a direct order from the enemy to take you out, to try and distract you from the truth of what God is trying to say. Demonic spirits always try to distract away from what God has appointed. We've got to ask God, God, give us wisdom, give us discernment, to know how to recognize these demonic spirits. Okay, on a kind of funny level, I was reading this passage, and it it hit me. Paul had experienced blindness. And so Paul sees this demonic spirit. He knows what it is, and he's kind of like, huh, I wonder if that gift still works today. Like, it took down a grown man on a road. Maybe it'll work for this guy. And he's like, um, be blind. Yep, that worked. (laughs) Like, I love that Paul used what he had experienced. And I think for you and for me, it's important to remember that. So often, God allows us to step into a season of life right out of something we've experienced. And usually, it's a hardship. So I want you to keep that in mind that when you're in this battle, one of my friends just reminded me this morning, he said, I found that usually when it's really bad, it's right on the brink of getting really good. I thought that was really good. So God so often uses the things we've overcome to reach people for his glory. Now, I think in the world of Christians, there's this misconception 
that Christians should be meek and quiet with no opinions. And um, nothing about Paul in these chapters is meek or quiet. He is full of confrontation in a good way. Um, Paul was brave. He was bold. He was unwavering in what he knew to be truth. And he spoke with this great authority, the authority of the Holy Spirit within him. And demonic spirits did not waver his belief in Jesus. He just, I think it made him believe even more that the God he was serving was the God that was true. So the enemy shows up sometimes in the form of spirits attached to other people for the purpose of distracting us, of trying to take us off our goal. And the enemy starts to launch these attacks at us in order to offset us and the people of God. But here's the deal. God's given you his weapon. It's the Holy Spirit. And Heather spoke about this so beautifully. God expects us, though, to use that power. I think so often we're walking around acting like we are behind the eight ball when, in fact, God has already equipped us and anointed us to defeat those demonic forces that are being launched at us. And so it's not something we have to be con con concerned about or worried about. We just get to attack them with the Holy Spirit's anointing. But I think that when we do that, we have to be willing to speak with the great authority that Jesus breathed into us. Because when we actually believe that God's already equipped us, then we walk in this confidence that's not of this world. In a, in a way that your hairstyle and your makeup and your clothing cannot portray. It's a different kind of confidence. And, and being frank, some people would call it pride. And that's okay. Because really, I, I found that those people just have not experienced the confidence of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I know that is because I've gotten to experience it. And like I said, when you've experienced the confidence of Jesus, everything changes. Everything in your life changes. So Paul had this great right to speak with this authority. And um, he speaks this blindness over this demonic force, and they move on with ministry. They just keep going. Acts 13.13 13 starts to talk about how Paul and Barnabas board a ship to continue their travels. They arrive at the port of Perga, where one of the disciples stays to do ministry, and he and Barnabas travel inland to Antioch to preach the gospel. Verse 14 says this. You've got to catch this. He says, on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. This is so profound. Our mission for Jesus always, always starts with the local church. So Paul is literally on mission. He's on a mission trip, like full-on legit. And he takes time for the people of God. He takes time for the local church. Acts 13, 15 says, After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. So Paul begins to remind these people of their ancestors' history. And the reason he's doing this is because he's pointing out, hey, these people were in bondage, but God was still equipping them and preparing them and anointing them for what was to come. Then in verse 18, Paul reminds them that over the span of 450 years that God defeated seven nations for them as their as their inheritance. And I love that Paul points that out because um, I think so often we, we forget that we're children of God. 
we kind of overlook all that God's got for us. And I want to come back to that point, but I want you to just think on that. Like, God's not stingy over us, you guys. He, it's like, I think of it in, in the world of parent terms. Like, sometimes I give my kids a gift just because they're my kids. There's no reason. There's no holiday. There's no celebration just because they're a kid. So it's like, it's like he's like, hey, guys, I'm God. You're not. Here's a gift. I defeated all these nations for you. This is your inheritance. And I think, church, we've got to start to walk in the inheritance God intended for us. Okay? We've got to realize that God paid this unfathomable price for us to give us an inheritance, to have the right to give us inheritance. But so often, we walk around like we're nobodies, when in fact, we're royalty. God's word says that because we're his children, that means we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. So we're royalty, but so often I feel like we're walking around like Eeyore. Like, nobody likes me. The church won't accept me. I don't know my gift. It's not very sunny today. Like, for real, guys, I know this is deep stuff, talking about Eeyore, but you're not Eeyore. You're Tigger in the kingdom of God. I mean, I know I'm Tigger in the kingdom of God. Blake, you're so fun to preach to. So often we've just got to step into what God's got for us. So Paul's reminding them of their ancestors. And then there's this part where he talks about how God had set up a certain set of um, leadership for the people, and they decided they didn't like it. They didn't want that type of leadership, so they start to whine and complain and beg God, like, God, give us a king. We want a king. Finally, God's like, okay, fine. You can have a king. And he gives them this king who reigns for 40 years, who was named Saul, different Saul, reigns for 40 years, and it wasn't a great deal. Okay, and so God gave them what they asked for. I think we've got to be cautious to not force God's hand when it's not what he's got for us. But we do that a lot. We whine and we complain, God, I really need this. I really want this. And finally, he gives in sometimes and he's like, okay, here's your king. You asked for it. And the people had to go through a lot because they asked for that. Let's not force God's hand. Okay, let's not try to manipulate God's ways. I think it's so refreshing. Paul says this. He says, God just put up with them through 40 years of them wandering in the wilderness. Like, God, Paul just calls it like it is. He's not, like, trying to sugarcoat it, like, well, you know, they'd never been free. They didn't know how to walk without chains. I mean, they just didn't know how to do it. He's just like, no, God had to put up with them while they were whining and wandering, while they were being Eeyore instead of Tigger. And and I think, guys, we do have to do that. We've really got to step in to the truth of who God is. He's the God that gives us freedom, and he's the God that gives us royalty, okay? I'm behind on my time, so I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Um, I think... Some of you sitting in this room know this portion of scripture really good, and then others of you are sitting here, and you've maybe never heard the Bible talked about, and that's good. We're so glad that you're here. You're actually the reason that we're here. Um, So I'm going to read this portion of scripture. This is for you. Verse 22, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, 
a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. It is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised savior of Israel. Before he came, meaning Jesus, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not the Messiah. He is coming soon, but I'm not even worthy to be the slave that unties the sandals on his feet. He says, brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people of Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that were read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. And when they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and they placed him in the tomb. And then here is my very favorite part of all of history, this one line in the Bible. It says, um, and then God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone before him. So then Paul starts speaking in current day to the people listening. So he's reminded them of all that God's accomplished. And then he says this, and now we are here to bring you this good news. And I would say that to anyone sitting in this room that doesn't know Jesus. Pretend like you're sitting there listening to Paul say this for the first time. We are here to bring you this good news. This promise was made to our ancestors. God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm said about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God has promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. I will give you the sacred blessing I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. And so this is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died, was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. No, this is in reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. He says, brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could not do. But be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you would not believe, even if someone told you about it. Church, we cannot miss what God is doing in our day. We cannot mock God. How he chooses to move and how he chooses to speak is up to God. We simply obey. This next portion tells us that because people rejected the teachings that Paul was giving them about Jesus Christ, God allowed his spirit to be removed and his people to be removed and put somewhere else. I hope that's never true of us. I hope that we never get so set in our ways that when God starts to move in a way that we think is different or unexpected, that we're like, oh, I'm out. But I've seen it happen. Verse 42 says this, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to come back again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on God's grace. 
The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowd, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul, and they argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, and they declared, It's necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and judged yourself unworthy to enter for eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this commandment when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and they thanked the Lord for his message, right? I'm very glad that the message was brought to the Gentiles. So the, me- so the Lord's message spread throughout that region. And when the Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas, and they ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with the joy and with the Holy Spirit. There is so much important stuff to notice in this passage. I think specifically as a church leader, I just go, wow. I can't even fathom having the guts to go to the edge of a town and shake the dust off my feet and go, I tried. They rejected it. That is guts. But I want to talk about the jealous spirit that Paul references here. Jealousy is so unattractive. I notice it most often in social media. Like I just saw it this week. A friend of mine was on vacation, and she posted this beautiful picture of her relaxing with her husband by the beach. And within a moment, there was this comment like, so jealous, girl. So unfair. And the young kids, like, I don't know the short, cool words anymore because I'm getting old, but the young kids call it jelly, like, so jelly. <laughs> jelly is not attractive. <laughs> jelly does not look good on anyone. It is not a pretty accessory. So how do we know a jealous spirit? And I'm not talking just like, man, I wish I had that kind of a car. Like, I, that's earthly jealousy, and we can get over that. I'm talking about a spiritual jealousy that causes people to get totally off track. Here's how you know a jealous spirit. When it starts to bring slander against the people of God, that's from the enemy. A jealous spirit is always seeking to gather a crowd to agree with them. That's how you know a jealous spirit. That jealous spirit caused the people to run God's anointed men right out of their world. Paul recognized this spirit, and so he gets to the edge of their town, and he literally wipes his sandals of every speck of that seed of jealousy. Not because he thought he was better than them, but because he wanted nothing to do with offsetting God's purposes. So be so cautious. Stay away from a jealous spirit. If you start to recognize it, if you start to see, like, man, these people are inciting a mob about God's chosen people, that's jealousy. That is not of God. That is from the enemy. Okay, so chapter 14 continues their journey. Verses 1 through 6 repeat really similar events. Same thing. They preach the gospel boldly. People freak out. They get thrown out. But Paul and Barnabas just carry on. Like, people are getting saved, God's grace is growing, but people get jealous. And this jealousy, this jealous spirit keeps coming up. And to be honest, guys, I wanted to gloss over it. I was, like, looking, like, God, what else is in this chapter that I can talk about? Because I don't really want to be the message bringer of the jealous spirit. 
I just don't really want to talk about it. What is fluffy in here that would be more fun to talk about? Like, I like to have fun when I preach. I like to laugh. And this, like, this just kept coming up. It's just all over these chapters. Verse 2 says, Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. The word spurned means to reject with disdain or contempt. Being a part of poisoning people's minds against men and women of God is not something you want to get caught up in. I've seen it tear apart churches and families and communities. So we just want to stay away from that. It's such dangerous territory. But hear this. When you're right in the middle of God's will, when you're walking the path God's got for you, people are going to be against you. People aren't going to be cheering you on all of the time. You'll have some, and those people are awesome. Hang on to them. But you're going to come across disdain. So you've got to stay encouraged. You've, you've got to stay the course because people are going to come and go from your life. And that's okay. Paul experienced that. Jesus experienced that. You're in great company if you're experiencing people disdaining you because of the sake of God. Okay, jumping back, Acts 14, 3. The apostles stayed there a long time. Even though they were being talked of, like, all this contempt, they stayed there and they preached boldly about the grace of Jesus. Hear that. They stayed there. No matter what was said of them, they stayed. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinions about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Like, for real, guys? And then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of this, they fled to another town, and there they preached the good news. Here's what I catch. These people are talking bad about us. We're still on mission. We carry on. We carry on. We're on mission. We carry on. We can't be distracted by the haters. Barnabas, we can't worry about what they're saying. Paul, man, you know who you are in Jesus. Like, carry on, man. We've got this. There's people that are going to sit in hundreds of years from now in Church 214, and they need to know how we carried on, even though people were stoning us. Verse 8 is so incredible. Paul and Barnabas come upon this man with crippled feet. He'd been crippled from birth, and so he had never walked. So he's sitting, and he's listening to Paul preach, and he's looking Paul straight in the eye. And Paul realizes that he has the faith to be healed. So Paul calls to him in this loud voice, and he says, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. Dude, I think missions work is awesome. That is so cool. My son has a really loud voice. Like, you've probably heard him around here. And when I read this, the Bible talks a lot about how loud Paul was. Like, he's often using a loud voice. And I felt convicted because I felt like sometimes I'm shushing cries and like, son, we're inside. Like, we can hear you. And then I realized, like, Whatever God's given you that's unique to you, use that for God's glory. Use that. Because I thought, you know, Paul didn't have a microphone to magnify his voice. God gave him that loud voice to speak against demonic forces, to call a man to stand up when he's never walked a day in his life. That's a God-given gift. 
That's the God I serve who still moves in the miraculous way. So regarding this lame man, I'm willing to bet you five bucks that, I know, I'm going out there. I don't carry cash. I've got five bucks. Um, I bet there were other people in that crowd that day that also needed healing, but there was something about that man. Paul could see that he had the faith to believe. Now, a few years back, before this church officially started, a few of us felt God speak this word, and it was confusing at first, and it was among. And we felt like it was like among. We're, we're supposed to start this church, and what does among mean? And we start to understand that it meant you're going to lead them as you're among them. It's never going to be about the people that are up on this stage leading in worship, even though they're awesome. And it's never going to be about the people behind this pulpit who are preaching, even though the team of people that preach up here is so devoted and so gifted. It's always going to be about doing life with them, looking them in the eyes. Why? Because then we get to see each other's faith. And that's when we really see God start to move. So this man is looking at Paul, and Paul is looking at him, and he sees his faith to believe, and so he calls him out, and he says, rise up and walk. He was able to be healed because of his faith. So the guy gets healed, and I want to circle back to the start of this message where I said, when Heather preached, I just was so reminded, God is still healing today. And maybe you're sitting here, and right this moment, you don't need healing, but at some point, you're going to need it. And I feel like you're going to need to recall the truth of God's word. And maybe people have convinced you that God doesn't work in that way anymore, but I would use the word of God to convince you. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then if you, if, if you need, like, proof from the Old Testament, there, it's there, too. Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not human that he would lie, not a human being that he would change his mind. Guys, healing is a gift from God. He's given it out today. Maybe you need it, and in the quiet of your seat, you've got to go, God, I want to be like that lame man, and I want to have the faith to believe, and I'm going to take that healing. When you have been healed, you know that it's true. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So God gives physical healings, and many of us have experienced that. But I want to talk today about um, some spiritual healing that some of you in this room need today. God is in the business of healing us spiritually. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, this, is, this portion is for you, so please tune in. The biblical text from today, which is Acts 13 and 14, this is what the Bible wraps up with in that passage. Verse 15 says, We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from worldly things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all of the nations to go their own way, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends rain and good crops, and he gives you food and joyful hearts. So evidence of God's goodness is things like rain. Have any of you seen the rain? You have seen the goodness of God. Have any of you ever had a joyful heart? No? Okay, Blake has. You have seen the goodness of God. 
Have any of you ever eaten any food? You have seen the goodness of God. So we walk around like, I just need proof of God. Like, bro, you ate breakfast. I tell my kids that God's not at McDonald's, but I don't know. Maybe he is. Today, some of you need to choose to give Jesus the lordship of your life, not just this cheesy prayer that you're like, man, I don't think I did anything. I'm not saying prayer is cheesy. Don't, don't take that out of context. But to give him the lordship, meaning all of your life. Some of you believers are sitting here, and you need to give Jesus the lordship because you've, you've stepped into life with Jesus, but you're just leaving all the rest out of the way and just keeping on your path. The lordship of Jesus means we go, God, take everything, like with Saul, take all of the Saul out so that Paul can walk forth. Um, will you guys all just bow your heads for a minute? I don't usually do salvation like this, but I feel like I'm supposed to. I feel like there are some people here that need some privacy because this might be the first time that you've ever chosen Jesus. And if that's you, I want to just know who I'm going to pray for. If you need Jesus to be the Savior of your life, to give him the lordship of your life, I'm going to ask you to just slip your hand up, not so anyone else can see you, but so that I know who I'm praying with when we have this moment. And so I see two of you right now. I see two hands, and I just want you to know that this is what this church is about. It's about your stepping into life with Jesus and then about us discipling you into the ways of Jesus. And the coolest thing is that Jesus stretched his arms out on a cross so that you would notice him. And I want you to know that right now as you're stretching your arm out, he notices you. He sees you. He's looking you right in the eye, and he goes, yep, she's got the faith. Yep, he's got the faith too. And so right here, right now, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these souls that are stepping into true life with you, Jesus, giving the lordship of who they are over to you, Jesus. I pray that you would give them so much boldness as they begin this journey with you, God, that they would have the guts to tell someone around them, like, hey, this was my moment today. God changed everything for me today. I wasn't maybe lame physically when I walked in here, but I was spiritually, and now I'm going to rise up and I'm going to walk. So God, thank you for this moment. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And the Bible says that heaven celebrates when someone comes to know Jesus. So let's celebrate the ways of Jesus. Okay, so church, when the voices of crazy start to disdain you, I, we should rejoice because we must be doing something right. Jesus and Paul, like great examples. If the enemy cares so much to try and discourage you, and I can speak with so much understanding this week on this topic, you carry on. You step into everything God has for you. Wrapping up, verse 19 said that some Jews arrived hating Paul, and so they stoned him nearly to death. But he didn't die, so he just carried on preaching. Holy cow. And then Paul and Barnabas wrap up their first missionary journey by circling back to encourage the churches that God has allowed them to plant along the way, to encourage them in the spirit of God. I love that because it shows their heart for equipping the saints, for staying the course, for staying on mission, even if people are stoning you, even if people are hating on you. Because, friends, 
This I know to be true. It is always about two things. Are you ready? Jesus and people. And that's it. That is the full gospel of Jesus Christ. So, welcome to the family of Jesus, those of you that just made decisions. We're super glad you're here, and we're going to do this life with you, okay? All right, let's worship Jesus.